Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. My uh, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor at Christ Church. If you're just tuning in, and um, this is our last week for the past five weeks, we've been studying the beautiful book of First Peter. Um, and we've learned that this letter was meant to encourage a scattered and dispersed people. So it opens up with to the dispersion. Uh, so it's uh, to people who are scattered all over and they're beat up, which is kind of like us. We're all scattered to each to our own home and we are beat up ourselves. Uh, so it's been a, such a pleasure to dig into the message of First Peter to people who are dispersed. And if you sit down and you read this book in one city, sitting, which I highly encourage you to do, um, you'll notice many reoccurring themes that pop up. A lot of them we've looked at. But the most reoccurring theme, the heart of the letter by far, is the call to endure suffering. Um, first, first Peter's not long. There's five small chapters. And in these five chapters, the, su- the subject of suffering comes up 16 times, uh, which is more than any other gospel in the New Testament or any other letter in the New Testament. It opens the book, it closes the book, and it is the substance of the book. And while the scope of suffering um, is broad enough, I think, to kind of entail all different types of suffering, whether it's physical illness or relational suffering or persecution or abuse or anything like that, um, the emphasis is on suffering for doing good. So it's suffering because of your choices to follow Jesus or suffering because of your decision not to fight back um, or suffering because you've chosen not to participate in a community that's immoral or unjust or anything like that. And Peter doesn't write them to encourage them to get out of it. This is the interesting thing. Uh, He doesn't write them and say the suffering that you're going through, because these people are obviously really suffering. He's not saying what you're dealing with right now is kind of like a glitch in the gospel software and all the, you know, angel coders are like rapidly working to get out the 2.0 version or whatever. Rather, he tells them to endure it. He tells them that just as suffering played a significant role in the life of Jesus, so that it actually plays a significant role in the life of the Christian. He even goes so far to say, and Peter is really sensitive and he's really careful. um, And so he'll say if, he doesn't say always, but he says sometimes um, that when we're called to this endurance, it's even God's will. In this season, um, I'm more aware than ever that people are suffering in our particular community um, from a lot of different things. Physical and mental health, death of loved ones, relational turmoil, financial strain. I'm so conscious of it. Um, I also know that if what I know is not all that exists. I also know that, that people are suffering more than I know. You might be watching this and we might have not ever even met and you might be in a particularly hard time. Oh, this makes me so thankful that we get to study this little book. Praise God. But I'm also aware that the things that Peter can say can make us really uncomfortable. Um, the fact that Peter gives suffering kind of a role and he speaks into it and he calls us to endure it um, under the purposes of God and the example of, of Christ can make a squirm at first. And I really get that. One time I was with some other Christians and I brought up this idea of the church being called to suffer like Jesus. 
And someone said, uh-uh, you're not allowed to say that. And the reasoning was that uh, in today's culture, we've decided that anything that would in any way give substance or meaning to the idea of enduring a hard time or enduring suffering is ultimately harmful and abusive because it's not empowering. And so I was kind of taken aside and corrected. Um, and so I backed down. I was like, oh gosh, sorry, I didn't know I, I could say that. And I, I stopped saying that. But I remember thinking, well, the Bible says that. And if the Bible says that, why can't we say that? And then I started thinking, what's the dissonance between the way of Jesus and our culture that doesn't allow us to lay hold of something that seems to be to Jesus and a lot of the writers of the New Testament an essential part of discipleship? We struggle with this. I've struggled with this. Whether you're a Christian or you're new to Christianity or just queuing in, um, the way that Jesus talks about suffering sometimes and even shows it in his life can be very challenging. Um, And if it's challenging for you, take heart because it's always been challenging for everyone. In fact, it was extremely challenging for the person who wrote this book, Simon Peter, the person who wrote the book of 1 Peter. Peter's journey is one of rejecting Jesus' suffering to participating in it and then to preaching it. And so to help us grasp and understand 1 Peter's message about suffering, I actually want us to look at the author's own journey, um, particularly in our gospel reading that Tom read. And then we're going to conclude with some final thoughts for us. And I'm just going to give kind of a flyover of 1 Peter themes when it comes to suffering instead of focusing on one passage. Uh, but I want us to go to Matthew 16 first. So if you have a Bible, please go get it. I really, really do want you to walk with me through the scriptures this morning. We're going to be in Matthew first, and then we're going to pivot to 1 Peter. And I want your nose to be all over this book. So flip with me to, to Matthew 16. Peter. Oh, we just love Peter. Peter was a fisherman that Jesus called to follow him. And from the start, Peter gave up everything to follow Jesus. And he was kind of like the most eager, most like golden retriever, like puppy dog kind of disciple. Like if Jesus said jump, he said how high. He was all over it. And in our reading today, Peter has the great honor of becoming the first person to properly confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is like the highlight of Peter's career. If the disciples had like a last dance documentary like the Bulls do right now, Peter is like Michael Jordan and this is like the flu game or something. This is like his great moment. And Jesus is so thrilled. Uh, if you remember from the reading, he's like, oh, blessed are you. My father in heaven revealed this to you. Uh, I'm going to call you rock from now on. You're going to have the keys of the kingdom. It's this epic moment. And you can see all the other disciples around him being like, all right, way to go, Peter, you know, slapping him on the back like, man, that's amazing. But then let's flip to our reading because look what happens immediately after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And this is in verse 21. So we're going to be in Matthew 16, verse 21. This is right after the confession. From that time. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
it's almost like Jesus uses this opportunity to be like, awesome, you got the first lesson. I'm the Messiah. Now here's the second lesson. Suffering is going to be a vital part of my calling. It's necessary for me to suffer, the servant of God, to do the will of God. Now, it's not the end of the story. Did you notice he talks about the resurrection as well? Resurrection and victory are the end of the story. They're the, they're the last letter, but suffering comes first. And Peter squirms. He essentially says, you can't say that. In fact, look at Matthew 16, verse 22, very next verse. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Don't you just love this guy? He just answered the greatest question ever asked and then immediately starts to rebuke the person he just identified as the son of the living God. Bless him. I just love this guy. That's just so much confidence. Like, amazing. But we can't laugh at him too much because I totally get where he's coming from. Peter loves Jesus. Um, Peter thinks Jesus is, is come to save the world. I mean, he wants his grace and love to spread everywhere. He doesn't want him to suffer. Can you imagine if you had a spouse or a friend tell you what Jesus just told you? Here's what's about to happen to me. I have to go and I'm, I have to suffer a lot. Wouldn't you rebuke him? I totally get Peter's instinct here to take Jesus aside and say, no, that's wrong. It's the same thing that led me in my conversation with my friends before. I feel that's, that as well. The pushback. What? But however strong Peter's rebuke was to Jesus, Jesus' rebuke back to Peter is much more intense. Look with me at verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter goes from the rock to Satan in two verses. <laughs> uh, the, the highlight reel quickly goes into a, a fail. Um, and it's all because he rejects this idea that, that suffering is a part of Jesus' calling. So Jesus says, Peter, you are not thinking about this from God's perspective. You're thinking about this from a human perspective. You're approaching suffering. You're approaching my calling from a human perspective. And because of that, you're a hindrance to me. Jesus' language is literally saying, you're in between me and my call to be obedient and my call to suffer in order for the world to be saved. So get out of my way. Quit trying to stop that happening in my life. You can imagine Peter was a little less confident after that, right? I can also imagine all the other disciples were like, we're never gonna raise our hand in class ever again. <laughs> But I'm sure they were also shocked. Jesus has been called to suffer. They just found out he was the son of God. How can he be called to suffer? And into that confused silence where everybody's just shocked at what's just happened. Look at what Jesus says next in verse 24. This is so significant. Then... 
Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus adds to their astonishment and shock here. But do you see what he's doing? It's all connected. He's saying suffering is a part of the path that I have been called to walk. It's a vital part of the way that God is going to shape my character and save and redeem the world. Hallelujah. And if you want to follow me, it's going to be a part of yours as well. The shock of the imperative, take up your cross, is utterly lost on us. Um, at this point, it had not been sanitized to be a religious, you know, lifeway symbol. This was a, a symbol of pain and agony and death. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you take that up. You can see why it was confusing. And even if Peter took some of it to heart, um, he didn't fully grasp it. Because when the time came, when the hour of Jesus' suffering came, Peter still tried to stop it. He fought back. He tried to get in the way of it happening to Jesus. He even cut off someone's ear uh, to try to defend him and fight. And Jesus actually has to rebuke him again. He heals the man's ear and he tells Peter to put away his sword. And not only that, but a couple hours later, Peter sidesteps his own suffering. And this comes at his denial. And if you're familiar with the, Peter's denial, when Jesus is being tried and is about to be executed, Peter is nearby watching. And some people see him and say, hey, are you, are you with Jesus? They kind of saying like, do you want to be lumped in with him and everything that's about to happen to him? And Peter says, no, I don't know him. And in so doing, he refuses to participate in the sufferings of Jesus and what he's going through. And again, don't judge him. We've talked about this story before, but of course, you and I have never in a public situation um, chosen security and safety rather than public scorn or humiliation. Of course we have. The cross was a stumbling block to Peter. The Bible word for that is a scandalon in Greek, which was where we get the word scandal from. And it is for so many of us, has been throughout history, and it is for many of us today. But in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus says this amazing thing to Peter, which just show how much Jesus loves Peter um, and how much he's praying for him. He says, he, pr he predicts his denial. He says, Peter, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So Jesus knows that after Peter has gone through this and after he's witnesses Jesus' suffering and resurrection, and after Peter has suffered himself, and after his mind has been opened up to understand the way the prophets predicted the suffering of Jesus, why it was necessary, after he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to click for him. And so Jesus prays for Peter that on the other side of the cross and his own sufferings, he'll be able to turn around and speak into and encourage those who are in the midst of suffering themselves. Jesus is actually raising up a, a pastor in this whole situation. We, last week we talked about how we're all priests in God's kingdom and the holy priesthood of all believers. Jesus is raising up a priest who suffers himself so that he can minister to those who are suffering. And who does that sound like? Jesus himself. First Peter is the answer to Jesus' prayer. 
This has made me just love the Bible and love God and Peter and everything this week. First Peter is this guy turning around and as an answer to Jesus' prayer, he is strengthening his brothers and sisters. He's taken everything that he's learned in this process and he's bringing it back to speak to us even today who are having a hard time in 2020 in the midst of coronavirus. The wisdom of God and the providence of God is such an amazing thing. So what does Peter want to say to us? Again, the whole book uh, is about this, is about hard times and suffering. And I strongly encourage you to cap out this Eastertide season, the season after Easter, before we get to the Feast of Ascension next week, by sitting down and reading 1 Peter in one sitting. Um, noting particularly what Peter says about suffering. It's all over the place. It's a really cool, easy Bible study you can do yourself. Take 1 Peter, read it by yourself. It is way shorter than a sitcom. You've got the time. Uh, you still can't go out and have fun. So like, listen, it's time to do this. That is really the application to my sermon is go read 1 Peter and see what it says. But that's totally a cop out as a preacher. So <laughs> that can't be the ultimate application. Um, so I do want you to do that. And what I want to do is just give some flyovers of the whole book and pull out four things, four themes that come up, I think, from the book uh, about suffering. And also this is something that I, I pray can help you as you are reading it by yourself. So here's four things just on a flyover as we're finishing that Peter really encourages us in with suffering. First, don't be surprised, but look to Christ. In suffering, do not be surprised, but look to Christ. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Um, we're going to be in 1 Peter for the rest of our time. 1 Peter's towards the back. And we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When we suffer, sometimes it can cause us to question ourselves and, and doubt God. Um, I know this, I've, I've talked to so many friends recently about this, of just thinking, am I doing something wrong here? Um, are my prayers not working? Did I make a wrong decision at some point that this is happening to me? Or we question, is God just not good? Does he not exist and does he not care? I know some of you might be asking these questions right now. And this is where Peter comes to pastor us just with all the tenderness of a shepherd who suffered himself. He says, beloved, don't be surprised as, as so something strange were happening to you. And then notice what he does. He immediately pivots you to look at Christ. You're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Christ suffered as well. He wants to remind you that even the son of God had to endure through suffering. And when we look to Christ and we witness his endurance and we see the things that he endured, it strengthens us. It helps us remember that you're not outside of God's providence. Suffering is not a contradiction to God's plan. It's not an anomaly. That is something that we have to let Jesus teach us. Because look, it was true for Jesus as well. And then look at chapter 5, verse 9. If you're in your Bible, it'd just be right next door. So chapter 5, verse 9. 
Resist him, he's talking about the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And when in my translation it says brotherhood, it just means the church, the fellowship. Isn't that amazing? So he's saying not only look to Christ, but know that the church globally and historically is also enduring hard things, is enduring suffering in the name of Jesus. Man, what a comfort. You are not alone in your suffering, no matter what it is. Your life is not a tragic exception. Your pain is not unknown to God himself. He's experienced it. So have others. Jesus walked that path before you, and so have the saints. Second, that's the first. Don't be surprised. Look to Christ. Second, in suffering, don't retaliate, but look to Christ. Don't retaliate, but look to Christ. Now look with me at chapter 3, verse 8. So go back a little bit. might be a page back. This is actually from our reading this morning that Abby read. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is coming from the dude who chopped a guy's ear off, remember. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Wow, what tenderness there. Peter knows that when we're suffering, particularly when our suffering is caused by something someone has done to us, um, if we're being persecuted or we've been betrayed, we're going to want to lash out. In our pain, we're going to want to inflict pain. We're going to want to return evil for evil. But Peter wants to encourage the dispersed church here, those who are really being beat up, mistreated, to stay the course in their personal commitment to doing justice and showing mercy and blessing others. And why? Because that's what Christ did. Look with me at the end of chapter 3, same chapter. There was the end of our reading in verse 17. So this is chapter 3, verse 17. Peter says, For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. See, he always is so quick to pivot from your suffering to the suffering of Christ. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us, the unrighteous, to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter doesn't want the, the church to get cantankerous or violent or bitter in their hardship. Rather, he calls them to Christ-likeness. Notice he's not calling them to be pushovers. Uh, Father Rick, a couple weeks, mentioned this when he was talking about this. He's not calling them to enable abusive situations. He's not calling them to look for suffering and to be masochistic. That's really, really important. We are clear on that. Rather, Peter is just saying, Jesus' people do not pay evil for evil. We can do that because we are attending to the wounds of Christ. We're sitting at his feet. We're beholding the way that he endured such evil and yet forgave in return and blessed and out of those actions of Christ flow into us the power to be able to do that ourselves. And not only that, this is the way the world is blessed. The ways that um, God has chosen to redeem and purify a world that is so broken and violent is through a people who bless even when they are reviled. That is the way institutions and systems and cycles of injustice and violence are broken. That's what Jesus did. 
that's the second theme you'll see in Peter and in a lot of the New Testament. Don't retaliate, but look to Christ. Third, in suffering, don't think it's pointless, but look to Christ. Don't think it's pointless, but look to Christ. Peter wants us to remind, wants to remind us that when we invite Christ into our suffering, it's never useless. Okay, I want to go back to where we started in 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 6. I know I'm taking you all over the place, but isn't this fun? Chapter 1, verse 6. Remember, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And I just want to point out that word necessary is what the prophets always say about Jesus and what Jesus always says about himself. The road to Emmaus, he says, do you not know that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer? And I think it's interesting that Peter uses that word here, but notice his pastoral um, nuance by saying if. He's not saying everything is, but sometimes, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, it's in the trial itself uh, that faith and character is revealed. Indeed, sometimes it's in the trial that God's power and love are most clearly demonstrated in your life and most clearly received into your heart is in the midst of fiery trials, as Peter says. Remember, the Apostle Paul is suffering from the thorn in his flesh, which we do not know what it was, but it was grievous enough that he was on his knees praying over and over again for God to take it away, and God would not. He left it and then said to Paul that he was doing that because his power was perfected in weakness. He was giving Paul more of his power in himself. So listen, we're never called this is really important. We're never called to share in Christ's sufferings that does not also lead to Christ's resurrection. You're never called to Jesus's cross without being given and promised and kind of poured out upon you Christ's life and his resurrection. The two go together. You can't share in his resurrection without sharing in his cross. The Bible makes that so clear. But also, you will never be asked to share in Christ's cross without being promised and being flown over by his life. So there's no trial you can face or are currently facing that God can't redeem or sanctify to you, build your character up through it. Pointless, unredeemable suffering is not a Jesus thing. That's a devil thing. It's not a Jesus thing. What did Christ endure or suffer that was not restored or vindicated by the resurrection. You know, Hebrews even says that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Even Jesus's character and his relationship and his, his experience of the Father was sharpened and honed in through the hard times that he went through. For those who love God, all things work together for good. And this is where I want to finish with those beautiful verses, or at least this point. Uh, from How Firm a Foundation, which we read last week. These are some of my favorite hymn verses. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Praise God. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. 
The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Hmm. It's not pointless. It's not beyond the redemption of God, whatever you're enduring. Even what the locust has taken away, the Lord can restore. Finally, don't think it'll last forever, but look to Christ. In suffering, don't think it will last forever, but look to Christ. Before Peter ever addresses our suffering, he opens up with the resurrection in the very beginning of the book. This is how we started this book five weeks ago. Remember, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. So he opens up by saying, Jesus is alive. That's Peter's first word to these people who are suffering. Only then does he enter into all the hard times in the book that he knows they're experiencing. And he does it with empathy and insight. Remember in that verse in in chapter one, verse six, he says, though for a little while you're experiencing this, though for a little while. And the last word in the book is also the resurrection. This is so cool. Look with me at chapter five, verse 10. Chapter five, verse 10. And after... This is after everything he says in the book. And after you have suffered a little while, isn't that awesome? He brings that phrase back up again. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. Again, I hope you will dive into this book and read it for yourself. Uh, See the ways that the Holy Spirit chooses to breathe the word of God into your soul right now. But hear what, what we've just even seen right now from this journey that Peter went on to grasp these things that originally he didn't understand. The sufferings we experience in this life are not unique to us. Jesus endured suffering. They don't have to dominate our life. They don't have to rule how we react. Jesus responded to evil with love. When he was reviled, he blessed. They aren't useless. Jesus himself was refined by them and they revealed God's glory in his life. The great moment of the revelation of God's glory is the cross. And they aren't the last word. God raised Jesus, and he will raise us as well. And I just want to finish with those beautiful words. He has called you to the eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.